HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Greenhorns Radio, radio for and about young farmers. And today we have Erica Demby from the New Garden Society in Massachusetts. Hello, Erica. Hi, Severin. I'm so happy to be on the show with you. I'm so happy, too. I'm so happy for your beautiful work. And I want us to go straight into talking about the big project of land repair and how your work is working on that. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Severin. I think we're working on it on a couple fronts. I mean, we so the New Garden Society works in in adult medium security prisons in Greater Boston, and we also work in youth detention facilities within the city. And most of the prisons that we're working in are located on former farmland. So we are excited to be able to take this farmland that's been converted into correctional institutions and take it out of monoculture, out of these lawns, and turn it back into beautiful, productive, diverse landscapes. And then we're also excited about the impact our students can have once they're not incarcerated anymore, once they return to our communities and they are organic land care practitioners working alongside us in the green industry. So let's give a little bit of context. Um, so many of us are have chosen our activism in the field of agriculture, and we maybe have forgotten some of the statistics about the prison industrial complex. Um, so maybe you could just give us a little catch-up on the state of prison affairs and, and the injustice that you're working to repair there. Yeah, so... Um 
Yeah, I think there's a couple of statistics that kind of give us an, an entryway into the big picture of the crisis of mass incarceration. Um, but I also would recommend that if people are feeling inspired to engage uh, in this realm, that the work of Tanahisi Coates and Michelle Alexander is an incredible starting place. Um, but I'll say that I'm, you know, I'm in my early 30s, and so the crisis of mass incarceration has been breaking over us like a wave for my entire lifetime. Right now, we incarcerate 500% more people than we incarcerated when I was born. Um, so we, you know, incarcerate more people per capita and also in direct, you know, straight numbers than any other country in the world. The part of it that's um, especially meaningful to me is that in, in Massachusetts and in most states, 95% of the people that are incarcerated are going to return to our communities. Um, and so, you know, I think this is an opportunity for us as people who work on the land and who grow food to reach in and take down, you know, some of the wall that's up between people who are in, inside and people who are on the outside because sooner or later, any day now, those people are going to be out and living and working alongside us anyhow. So we might as well start that relationship. Yeah, well, and that there's so much land. You make the point in your notes that there's so much land care to be done, and there's actually a great need for uh, or people who have the, the skills for organic landscaping, which is a pretty good profession. It's a, like skilled, autonomous, small business. Um, you know, you see a lot of prosperous people in trucks managing landscapes. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, you know, in my day job, I'm a a greenhouse manager at Langwater Farm. We're a 50-acre organic vegetable fruit and flower farm. And so I think, you know, there are some opportunities for students of ours once they come out of prison to work in agriculture. But for the most part, I see our students working in the ornamental realm. And in Massachusetts, and I imagine in a lot of places across the country, the organic landscape world is growing so fast. You know, we hear from companies all the time that they're having a hard time finding skilled, dedicated people to join their crews. And so um, I think as a, as a green industry, we need to open all the doors of participation that we can. And I'm so grateful that in the prison classrooms and prison gardens and prison greenhouses, I've met really uh, incredibly hardworking, you know, dedicated, curious students who really love this work, and I'm excited for them to join our industry. So let's get back to you. Um, how did you guys come up with this plan, and what has it taken? Like, where are you at? What has it taken to get to this point? You know, this is, like, very beautiful work and bold and extremely beautiful, brave, and I commend you so much, and I think a lot of people would like to do similarly bold work in their lives, and so maybe you can just break it down how you approached it. Sure. So um, so we started doing this work in uh, 2013. My co-founder's name is Renee Portanova, so Renee and I started working together in 2013 because Renee came across a report that was put out by the Massachusetts Department of Correction talking about all of their unmet program needs and horticulture was named over and over and over as something that students, incarcerated students, were asking for, and yet the DOC didn't have the capacity to um, make these horticulture, you know, garden-based programs happen. So we started 
in a single prison thinking, oh, we'll go in and, and teach a winter class in our off-season when we have time, you know, away from our land-based work. And um, we went inside, and we both have, um, have careers that are a mix of adult education and working directly with plants, working in the field. And we met in that classroom at the, the Massachusetts Treatment Center, which is a prison about 15 miles south of Boston. Um, we met the most engaged, hardworking adult learners that we had worked with in our career. So it was clear pretty quickly that we weren't going anywhere and we had to figure out a way to stay. And it's grown from there. The good news is that there's been a lot of support from the local farming and landscaping communities. So our team of educators continues to grow. And we're excited this year. There's going to be six of us going into prison and team teaching together. Um, and we're excited because it means that our students get to meet people who work in all different aspects of this field. So they get to meet people who work in, like I do as a, a greenhouse manager and a, at an organic farm. They get to meet people who work in the residential landscape world or who work in city and state parks. Um, and I think that's important as our students start to think about what their path through this world could look like, um, that they have some, some firsthand connections with people who do the work and also a little bit more of an inside view of, of what our work really looks like. Um, as to how people could start, if people are listening, um, first I should say if you're listening and you are either incarcerated or you are a family member or a friend of a person who's incarcerated, I would encourage you to keep requesting horticulture programming at your facility. So the only way that we know if there are prisons that where this need is unmet is when students make requests, and a lot of them. We've walked into facilities where uh, someone in the administration has a stack of papers on her desk, all of the people who have filled out a form saying, I want experiential learning, I want to learn about plants, I want to learn in the garden, I want to grow food. You know, so. First of all, I would say, you know, please keep submitting those applications wherever you are. And if you are a grower in the Northeast um, and you want to share your skills with people who are incarcerated, I encourage you to reach out to us. We, we organize a, a group called the Northeast Prison Garden Collaborative, and we share resources and support each other. We're trying to build regional capacity for this work. So if you are... Um, yeah, currently a horticulture practitioner and you are wanting to, to expand your reach and go inside and share your skills, please, please reach out. So, wow, this is amazing. And let's talk about the basic economics of this. In our experience um, with FarmHack, we ran into a group in France that was very similar to FarmHack doing open source farm tools. And we found that the French government was not only paying for the farmers' time to come to the workshops and their gas money, but was even, like, housing and feeding them during a week-long training course. Mm. And it really alerted me to the fact that um, socialism is cool. But I wonder <laughs> just if you can explain just it's outside of my experience from the young agrarian world where we live inside the the, the um the farm bill and USDA funding. How, how is the shape of the institution that you're operating inside of? 
Um, so I imagine that this is very different state by state, but in Massachusetts, um, all of our gardens and greenhouses are supported pr pretty well by, uh, in terms of material funding. So like any tools or compost or um, you know, machinery or plants we need, soil amendments, is provided by a fund within the Department of Correction to support educational and recreational programming. So that is great, and that's something that um, you know, anyone who's starting a horticulture program in a prison in Massachusetts could pretty much rely on. I think the teaching time is, a, is another question. Um, I would love to see, I think that this is, is foundational programming. I think that everyone who's incarcerated should have more access to the outdoors, access to grow their own food, access to build these skills if they want to. Um, but right now, that need is being met by a patchwork of different groups like us and faith-based groups and then some training that's happening from within the Department of Correction. So, um, yeah, we're really happy after, you know, we're in our fifth season right now of doing this work, and at this point we're able to pay for some educator time and we're able to reimburse educators for travel, and we're hoping to be able to continue to move in that direction. So um, one thing that we learned in some research from a graduate student who was at university, um, SUNY in Albany, oh golly, I forgot her name. One of the problems with Lyme disease is you can't remember anything. But anyway, she did research about how many farms in New York were affiliated with prisons. And, the, the, you know, the, the prisons were basically self-sufficient in food and also producing food. Um, until some rules changed that were um, probably based on well-warranted uh, disgruntlement of other farmers who were competing against prison labor um, in the production of uh, dairy products, et cetera. But sadly, those farms were shut down, and even more sadly, that land is in danger of being um, sold off out-of-state ownership um, and, and out of uh, potential ag production. I wonder if you can reflect on the larger history of prison farms um, and the history of incarcerated labor um, in this country. I feel like that's an important history we should not skip over in this, in this topic. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a great question, Severin. I don't know that I can do it justice, but I'll try my best. I think that... Um, I mean, in Massachusetts, there's a similar history to the one that you were referencing in New York State, that where prisons used to be either self-sufficient or at least able to provide a part of a diet, and they would trade with other prisons. So one prison would provide all of the dairy and, um, you know, make cheese, and another prison would grow vegetables, and the system internally was self-sufficient, um, and that's not something that is intact any longer, and... Likewise, I think, yeah, there were probably a lot of good reasons for that system to be taken apart. I think um, it's important to note that in some parts of the country there are still prison farms intact that are where the work and vocational training that's happening is less of a choice. And so it's important for the New Garden Society and all the work that we do to be sure that there's nothing 
you know, to the extent that it's possible within a correctional setting that there's nothing coercive about the work that we're doing. Everyone chooses to be in the class. People go through an interview process to be in the class. Um, and we don't offer good time or, you know, earned time off sentences in exchange for participation in the class. Um, because there's, yeah, it's important for me that students are always making a choice. So, yeah, we're looking at a similar model in in Massachusetts where the system that historically included, um, you know, labor that was not a choice on the part of growers, incarcerated growers, um, was slowly dismantled. And yet, you know, the farm, the the prisons in greater Boston and in most of the state are still built on that former farmland. They're still surrounded by conservation land. So there's a great opportunity there both to have ecological impact in terms of, uh, you know, going into these landscapes and using organic land care, regenerative soil practices um, on this former farmland surrounded by conservation spaces, and also, um, you know, thinking about offering experiential education in a, a place where there are so few hands-on experiential options for students who really want to, to learn and grow themselves. Um, so a couple of things. Um, number one, I just wanted to reflect again across context. I've had the pleasure to organize and meet with organizers and travel around and with the because the Young Farmers in England, the Land Workers Alliance, they've been making a movie and organizing and agitating. And um, I saw how much new farmer action was made possible by the infrastructure of the Camp Hill community system, which are basically were a combination nonprofit and state. So it was state funding provided for people who had developmental issues, um, what we would call a handicapped uh, people or developmentally challenged people who were living in, basically in community and working on farms as a way of being happy and whole, as we all would like to be. And the, but the, the money, um, the money came through the state. And then when austerity came along, that money was withdrawn and the standards of care were increased and, you know, whatever sequence of events dominoed down into um, the dissolution of those institutions. And then, but there were still potting sheds and processing areas and gardens and orchards and walls and fences and greenhouses and all that infrastructure has become the kind of like bones of one institution have become um, a scaffold for for new growers. But it, so on one hand, it was like, wow, how beautiful that this stuff is still being used and food is still being grown here. Um, but also what a good lesson that we must defend these infrastructures that are hard to establish. And we need to understand all the paperwork and politics that are behind, that stand behind um, the walls of these big bureaucratic organizations like hospitals and prisons and, you know, former mental asylums um, now turned into, you know, organic farms with people who are really happily uh, cared for and caring of the land. So all of which is to say that's an interesting story to go study and maybe <laughs> it would be interesting to you since it's so close to your work. Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's, 
I feel, and I imagine you feel the same way, Severin. I feel very privileged to be a land steward and to grow plants and to feed people. And it seems like any anything that we can do to expand access to this really gorgeous work that we're doing is on the right track. It's sad, sad to hear that that system was dismantled. Um, I th- in the Department of Correction, I do see, we see some parts of an older system that are still intact, but for the most part, the infrastructure has been taken apart for security reasons. Um, so it really feels like in most places that we're in, we're starting with, in terms of the infrastructure, we're starting with a blank slate. In the past 10 years, in the prisons in greater Boston, most of the trees have even been cut down. So we're talking about these kind of like scraped landscapes that are in lawn um, that we're building back up from. Well, I just can't think of a better place to hoard biodiversity than in a prison yard or like create little micro encyclopedia Britannica of fruit trees and variety trials. Absolutely. Yeah, there are people doing really lovely work on that front, actually all over the country. We're not alone, but I think to that end, uh, if I can put in another plug, um, the New Garden Society and probably a lot of other organizations like us accept donations of um, garden books and um, resources. You're mentioning encyclopedias. We're building small horticulture reference libraries in every prison library where we work. So if there are folks listening who are in the area who have some garden books around that they're not using anymore, we know a lot of that information doesn't change all that much over time. Um, We welcome donations of gently used garden books. Wow, what a great idea. So many people have used garden books. So many people in Massachusetts. Now, um, what about hiring the people who are graduating out of your program? If people who are listening or they know their moms or their friends or their cousins or somebody in Massachusetts that would be, could hire formerly incarcerated, now organically trained horticulturists, um, how would they go about that? So, you know, so we're in season five and we're just getting to the point where um, people who run landscaping companies are starting to call us instead of us having to call them. So, like, the word is starting to get out that people are like, I heard that this great work is happening. I heard that these students are getting an organic land care apprentice certificate, you know, how can I hire them? So I would say, you know, give us, take a look at our website, thenewgardensociety.org, and give us a call. And we have focused our efforts so far on the training piece that happens on the inside, and so the next step of this process for us will be to build out that bridge for students as they get out. Um, We don't have that many students yet who have been who have been able to return to community. Um, but those numbers are only going to grow as the years go on. So, yeah, if you if you run a small landscape company or, um, yeah, work in on the land in some way in greater Boston and want to give an opportunity to somebody um, who's formerly incarcerated, we should definitely, we should definitely talk. I think we need to build, build a track record, right, for, for setting up placements that work. On both sides. Well, I really want to just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being a leader and making good things happen for the world and the people that you touch. And thank you all for listening. And um, I know that uh, No Fun Massachusetts had a program on organic landscaping. 
So if that's something interesting to the listeners, that is another good trail for organic landscaping resources um, beyond our wonderful guest, Erica. Thank you, Erica, and the New Garden Society. I look forward to living in a New Garden Society with you. Wonderful. Thank you, Severin. Okay, everyone. Bye, Almanac, and see you next week, or listen to you, or talk to you. (laughs) Oh, golly. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.